Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I am here with you on one of my very favorite days. It is Self-Brain Surgery Saturday. We're in the early part of January, and we're getting this year off to a good start. We're going to change our minds and change how we think about something by, by learning a new procedure to apply to our thinking today. It's going to help you get unstuck. It's going to help you look at your life in a new way. It's going to help you be less afraid. It's going to help you start today to become healthier, feel better, and be happier. I've got a little music for you. Two quotes from old quantum physicists and, and PhD super smart people. Uh, a couple of scriptures, one idea. It's going to be quick. We've got family in town, and I'm not going to hold you up all day here. But we got one little self-brain surgery operation today that's going to help you make an impact and move the needle get you unstuck and move you forward if you're dealing with trauma or tragedy or any kind of massive thing or if you just want to find some traction and get this year off to a good start today we're going to change our perspective a little bit with a new self-brain surgery operation but before we do all that i have one question for you hey are you ready to change your life if the answer is yes there's only one rule you have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. Are you ready to change your life? Well, this is the place, Self-Brain Surgery School. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and this is where we go deep into how we're wired, take control of our thinking, and find real hope. This is where we learn to become healthier, feel better, and be happier. This is where we leave the past behind and transform our minds. This is where we start today. Are you ready? This is your podcast. This is your place. This is your time, my friend. Let's get after it. All right, are you ready? Let's get after it. Here we go. So there's a physicist named Lawrence Bragg. He died in 19... Uh, 1971, died in 1971, born in 1890. Sir William Lawrence Bragg, born in Australia, did most of his work in England. And the interesting thing about Bragg is B-R-A-G-G, Lawrence Bragg. He was knighted for his contributions to physics, by the way. But Bragg, the interesting thing about him is that he is the youngest person still to receive a Nobel Prize in physics. He was 25 years old when he shared a Nobel Prize in physics for his important work in the development of a science called x-ray crystallography. What in the world is x-ray crystallography, you might ask? Probably burning question you had on this Saturday morning. <laughs> x-ray crystallography basically is the study of how proteins are constructed, using x-rays to try to determine how proteins are constructed and what their three-dimensional structure is. And it turns out to be really important in things like um, understanding how molecules are put together, which led to a lot of development and advance in the study of pharmacology, which has led to the development of drugs that you take when you need antibiotics or different drugs. What they basically can do is they can get an image of how a protein is formed and its three-dimensional shape, and that can and help them understand the receptors on the surface of these molecules, and that might help them find targets for how they can design drugs based on the structure of the protein that they're looking at. So x-ray crystallography, way back in the late part of the 19th and early part of the 20th century, was in its infancy, and before they could really understand how to use x-ray to study protein crystals, they had to understand the fundamentals of what x-rays were. This is the work of Marie Curie and people like that. Well, Lawrence Bragg was one of the guys when he was very young that discovered the science behind how x-ray crystallography works, okay? That's not the topic of today. The topic of today is something he said 
that I want to tell you. But I just thought it was interesting to think about Bragg as a young man. He was 16 years old when he took his entrance exam to Cambridge University. He was in bed with pneumonia and took a paper exam in mathematics and received a full scholarship to Cambridge. He's a pretty smart guy. His dad, also a pretty smart guy. Um, He and his father, like I said, co-developed this idea behind how x-ray crystallography might work, and they won the Nobel Prize together, which is pretty cool. I never won a Nobel Prize with my dad. My dad's a really smart guy, but we didn't win a Nobel Prize together. So that's kind of a noteworthy thing about Bragg's family. His son went on to become the chief scientist for Rolls-Royce. and was one of the guys that developed jet engine technology. They have quite a brilliant family, right? Here's the little story about Bragg that I wanted to tell you today. Bragg was dealing with this problem. He kept struggling to figure out the problem of how to understand the math and science behind x-ray crystallography. He was 23, 24 years old, and he couldn't figure it out. He was struggling with the math and the science. He couldn't solve the problem, and he was taking a walk by the river one day at Cambridge. He was a first-year research student taking a walk by the river and relaxing his mind And he had an insight that led to the equation. He went home and wrote it down. He saw the equation in his mind, went home and wrote it down. And that equation became the basis for the work that resulted in a Nobel Prize and resulted in a career where he later became the director of the laboratory at Cambridge, where Watson and Crick described and discovered the molecular structure of DNA. Okay, so... The reason that lab was there for Watson and Crick to do their work together in was because Bragg developed the whole protocol for how research labs were to be developed and how teams were to be developed. He fought for their funding, developed the idea that laboratories should have secretaries and telephones and office support, and created the whole system at Cambridge in the Cavendish Laboratory that produced the environment where great scientific work could be done. And that's why Watson and Crick were able to be there in the first place, to discover DNA. So Bragg's insight when he was 23, 24 years old, while, that happened while he was taking a break because he was stuck, took a break, changed his environment, went for a walk, came up with the idea, won the Nobel Prize, had a career, developed the academic structure of how laboratories should be run, and produced an environment that many years later, in 1951, resulted in I'm sorry, 1953, resulted in a Nobel Prize for Watson and Crick in discovering DNA's sequence and structure, or DNA's molecular structure. Now, that's fascinating, right? All that to say, Lawrence Bragg had his greatest insight when he was stuck because he changed his environment, looked at the problem in a different way, got his mind on something else, went for a walk, and came up with a good idea. And I said all that because I saw a quote from Bragg This is a big rabbit hole. This is what I do, by the way. I I see a quote. I can't stop thinking about it. I wake up in the middle of the night, and God gives me some way to tie that quote to something else that I saw, and it just comes out, and I get to talk to you about it. Thousands of my best friends across the world, (laughs) and Lisa gets to hear this stuff all the time. But Bragg made a quote that I saw in the book The Mind and the Brain by Jeffrey Schwartz that we've been talking about lately in Chapter 2 about obsessive compulsive disorder and brain lock. And he quoted Bragg, and Bragg said, this is the the whole point of this day's episode is this quote and another quote that I'm going to give you right after it. Bragg said, the important thing in science is not so much to obtain new facts as to discover new ways of thinking about them. The important thing in science is not so much to obtain new facts as to discover new ways 
of thinking about them. That was Sir William Lawrence Bragg. Bragg already had the tools. They had the x-rays. They had the basic math. They understood the, the phenomenon that x-rays could give you insight into protein structure. They just couldn't figure out how to perfect the technique and understand the math behind it. He had to find a new way to think about the facts that he already had. And to do that, he had to change his mind. He had to get out of the environment, stop running the same play. Remember one of our sort of one of our principles, one of our prime directives in cell brain surgeries. If you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. And what got you here won't get you there. Like sometimes you have to change your environment, your thought process, your sometimes your physical situation. And for Bragg, he had to go for a walk by the river. He had to get outside and change his mind. And he found a new way to think about the problem he was trying to deal with. And that resulted in all kinds of good things in his life and in your life, because you have medicine in your cabinet that came about because of the science of x-ray crystallography. They came about because William Bragg took a walk when he was stuck. Isn't that fascinating? So, the important thing in science, Bragg said, is not so much to obtain new facts as to discover new ways of thinking about them. When I saw that quote, it triggered a memory of another quote I saw recently from Erwin Schrodinger, who was the father of quantum physics. And we're always talking about quantum physics here. Erwin Schrodinger lived 1880, he was born in 1887, so three years before Bragg was born, died in 1961, 10 years before Bragg died. And Schrodinger said this, the task is not so much to see what no one else has seen yet but to think what nobody has yet thought about which everybody sees. Let me say it again. The task is not so much to see what no one else has seen, but to think what nobody else has thought about which everybody sees. Okay, let me just break that down for you for a second because there's some power in this, in this concept right here. You've been looking at your life for a long time. In the same way. And everybody around you has been looking at your life and seeing what you see and agreeing with you that what you say is what is happening. And you are wondering why you can't make this change, why you can't get unstuck, why you can't move forward after that massive thing happened, why you can't find hope again. You're wondering why you can't find your feet. You're wondering why you're so anxious. You're wondering why you're so stressed. And the reason is, perhaps, you keep looking at your life the same way. Like like Bragg said, you keep looking at things in the same way and you keep thinking about them in the same way and then you keep wondering why you're getting the same results and Schrodinger says the problem is not to see some not to have some big massive insight and not to see some new thing that's never been there oh wow i had it all all along this this other whole different process was available to me that's not what usually happens right you don't usually wake up tomorrow and all the things that were keeping you stuck in your life are different. You had a different car, a different job, a different amount of money in your bank account, a different group of people around you. You don't wake up and find your whole world is different. But what you can wake up and find is that you can change how you think about what you are actually living out. The thing that you see and everybody else sees, this quantum physics idea of the more you observe something, the more real it becomes, the more you reinforce how it's always been. And to fix that, you've got to zoom out and change the perspective from which you look at your life. And that's how you can start thinking new thoughts. That's what Schrodinger said. You've got to be able to see what everybody sees, to see what you've been seeing for a long time, but yet be able to think of something new in relation to it. And I think that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. 
when you can get the noise calmed down, as we talked about a few days ago, you turn that dial down, get yourself in an alpha state and get the, the, those those anxious beta brain waves calmed down and get yourself into a prayerful meditative state where you can turn the noise down. That's when you'll start hearing that voice. Hey, no, no, no. Don't turn left this time. Turn right. You've been doing that for a long time. See something different here. I'm giving you a different start. Let's have a different idea. So those two concepts, not not necessarily that you've got to do some magic trick and have a whole new life, not to obtain a whole bunch of new facts about your life, because they're probably not going to change, at least not in the short term. The trick is, so not what Bragg said, don't, don't come up with a whole new thing. Just think about the things you already have in a different way. And Schrodinger comes along and says, look at the situation that everybody sees and think new thoughts about it. Okay? That's interesting. And it's consistent with scriptures we're going to get to in a second. My wife, Lisa, the brilliant, beautiful, incredible Lisa Warren, yesterday dropped a bomb on me of something I never thought about before from the book of Job. We're doing this Bible recap reading plan this year from Tara Lee Cobble. It's a great um, chronological look at the Bible. And she said, hey, I saw something in Job I've never thought about before. This is quantum physics, right? She's doing what Schrodinger said. Everybody can see Job chapter 3. Lisa had a new idea about it yesterday. Job 3, 25 and 26. Job says this. He's just, if you don't know the story, Job gets the news that all of his kids have been killed. He's lost all his crops. He's lost all his animals. His wealth has been taken away by raiders and marauders. And he's now been afflicted by boils and painful sores. And he's lost everything. And he's physically suffering. And he's just miserable. He's, he's been through the most massive thing you could imagine. And he says this. This is interesting. Everything I feared and dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace or quietness. I have no rest, only trouble. Listen to it again. Everything I feared and dreaded has happened to me. Job was a righteous man. Lisa said, it never, it never dawned on me before when I read this. She said, he was a righteous man. He, hadn't, he wasn't trapped in sin. He wasn't doing bad things. But his mind was filled with fear and dread. He was looking at his life with all these blessings that God had given him, all these tons of kids and and probably grandkids and tons of wealth and thousands of cattle and camels and sheep as the richest man in the East. And and he was a good guy and he was healthy and a great wife and, and all this. But what was he doing with his mind? Fearing and dreading the loss of all those people and things and animals and wealth and circumstance. He was living afraid of loss. And so I'm not giving you some big theological thing here. I'm not saying that what happened to Job was because of his mindset. He was focused on negative things and he manifested that. I'm not saying any of that stuff. I don't believe it. So don't make more of this than it is. But what I'm saying is this. What if when the devil decided to test Job and got God's permission to do so, what if he chose the way in which he attacked him based on what he knew Job was afraid of. That's, the, that's the, the bomb today. What if the devil looked at Job and said, you know what, that guy is faithful to God, but he's terrified of losing his money. He's terrified of losing his kids. He's terrified of losing his house. He's terrified of losing his health. And if I attack him there, maybe I can get him. Maybe I can get him to denounce God. Maybe I can get him to lose his faith. If I hit him in the things that he spends his mental energy fearing and dreading, he's spending his quantum efforts at observing the possibility of losing his good circumstance. 
Maybe that's where I should hit him. Remember Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief, the enemy, the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So here's the deal. You're going to have massive things. You probably already have. You're going to have traumas and tragedies, and there's going to be trouble, okay? But do you have to live in a place where you dread those things happening? My whole purpose in writing Hope is the First Dose was to give you a treatment plan, to give you a plan, to prehab your brain, to put scripture and promises and music and thoughts and a plan for what you're going to do if something bad happens. And the reason I want you to have a plan is because when the pressure's on, as Chris Voss always says, you don't rise to some superhuman ability to solve problems and, and think better than you've ever thought. You fall back to where you're prepared for If your fire alarm goes off while you're hearing this podcast and your house is on fire and you've got just a few seconds to grab what you can grab and get out, you might be terrified once you're out because you're going to realize, oh, no, I left my my wallet and my keys and my prescriptions and my eyeglasses and and I left my, I'm going to lose all my passport and my documents and my family photos and everything I didn't have time to get all that stuff out and your house burns down and you are in a lurch because you didn't have a plan for what you're going to do if that fire alarm went off right but what if instead what if you and your family had had a little preparation plan like you okay we have a safe deposit box where we have backup copies of all our big documents or our documents are in a fireproof safe. Or I've got a bag in my garage or in my trunk of my car that's got a, a set of car keys. And I'm not saying keep your car keys in your car. I'm just go with me for a second here, okay? It's not well thought out. But let's just have a plan. I've got a bag that's got a change of clothes. It's got a, a few days of my most important prescriptions. It's got a backup copy of my eyeglasses or my contact lenses. It's got a set of car keys. It's got some cash. And if the fire alarm ever goes off, all we have to do is grab that bag and get out with our lives. Grab the dog, grab the bag, get out, make sure you got your kids, and get out of the house. And we're not going to worry about what we lose because we've got what we need to get the next few days going. Okay, we have insurance policy. Everything's going to be okay. And if you have that plan, then you, you don't have to live in dread of the fire alarm going off, right? You don't have to fear what you're going to lose if you have a fire because you're going to have a plan. You're going to survive. You're going to have what you need to get through the next few days. Yes, it'll be inconvenient. Yes, it'll be devastating. But you're going to be okay because you had a plan, right? So the plan drives out fear. You can't be afraid and planning at the same time, okay? So... Remember, the verse for today, the first verse, we gave you Job 3, 25 and 26 already. Job was full of fear and dread, and that's what came to pass, right? Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 8, this is a little self-brain surgery for you here. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Friend, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He doesn't want you to live in fear of the massive thing, to be dreadful of the massive thing. He wants you to remember that you have power and you have love, and perfect love drives out fear, but you also have a sound mind, okay? So remember Schrodinger again. The the task before us is not to see things nobody else has seen, not to be the most insightful or the wisest person that anybody's ever been. The task before us is to look at the situation that we all can see and think different thoughts about it. Change your mind. Stop thinking about the situation in the same way. If you can't get unstuck after grief, 
and say, wait a minute, I know there's good neuroscience that can teach me how to switch my cingulate gyrus out of that and move forward. I can read some good books. I can get Mary Frances O'Connor's book about the grieving brain. I can learn to understand what's happening in my brain and why I'm stuck. And I can learn to think new thoughts about it and move forward. I can get into a support group. I can find some Christian friends and a pastor or a therapist or somebody who can help me look at the situation in a different way and start to zoom out from it. And it doesn't become the only thing I can see anymore. I can change my mind about what I've been through. Does it change the fact that it happened? No, because your trauma happened, okay? And it's never going to unhappen. So the idea that we have to constantly be in this state of stuckness or grief or yearning or loss or pain because of something that happened, it's true if you define your trauma as being the thing that occurred. But what we know from science now, my friend, is that trauma is not what happened. Trauma is your response to what happened. Trauma is how you process it and what you decide about it and what you decide to do next about it. That's what trauma is. And you can learn a new pattern. You can learn to see something nobody else has seen. You can learn a new way to think about the problem. Lawrence Bragg did it, and he did it by changing his environment. He got out of the house and took a walk and went down to the river, got his brain thinking a different way about the problem, and the problem revealed itself. The solution revealed itself to him. He changed his mind by moving his body in a different way. He got out of the place where he was stuck, and he found a new way to think about it. And you can do that too. In fact, science says that your brain gives you all kinds of positive neurochemistries, brain-derived neurotrophic factor and dopamine and all kinds of things when you move your physical body. So that's one of the reasons, I think, why Jesus was always on the move. He was walking up to the mountain to pray. He was drawing in the dirt. He was always doing something tactile. There's all these scriptures that show Jesus on the move, thinking and praying and meditating and drawing in the dirt and climbing the mountain and doing stuff physically. And when you move your body, your brain chemistry gets better. And when your brain chemistry gets better, you can clear away the cloud and you can think differently about the same problem. But if you keep doing what you've been doing, friend, on self-brain surgery Saturday, you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. And if you remember that what got you here won't get you there, if there is this place that you're longing to be where you feel better and you're happier and you're healthier and you're finally able to put that trauma in a in a situation where it's not all you can see, but it's a thing in your life instead of the thing, and you can learn to smile again. Like my character in my book, Hope is the First Dose, I wrote about he had a paralyzed face, but he learned how to smile again because he had an operation that helped him reconnect those nerves in a different way. And you can do that too. But you have to keep thinking, and you have to learn how to think and observe the problem in a different way. And you have to remember and believe with all your heart that God didn't abandon you to this problem with a weak mind. He gave you a sound mind, and the Holy Spirit can help that mind work to its fullest advantage, to its fullest capability, and the way it's designed. But sometimes you need to take a walk. Sometimes you need to change your environment. Sometimes you need to think differently. So stop fearing and dreading so much. Make a plan. Run the play. Have a plan. Prep it and rep it and be prepared for it, and you'll stand firm then when the pressure's on because you changed your mind and you changed your life. I'm going to give you a song now from Matthew West, a brand new song called Don't Stop Praying. It's going to help you get this done on Cell Brain Surgery Saturday, friend. Change your mind. Stop thinking about everything in the same way. And for goodness sakes, start today. What's your impossible, your I need a miracle? What's got you barely hanging by a single thread? 
What looks so hopeless now? What weighs down your heart without you? Beg for a breakthrough, but no sign of breakthrough yet. When you've cried and you've cried till your tears run dry, the answer won't come and you don't know why. And you wonder if you can bow your head even one more time. Don't stop praying. Don't stop calling on Jesus' name. Keep on pounding on heaven's door. Let your knees wail out the floor. Don't stop believing. 'Cause mountains move with just a little faith, and your father's heard every single word you're saying. So don't stop praying. He's close to the brokenhearted. Saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Alpha and Omega knows how your story ends. When you've cried and you've cried till your tears run dry, the answer won't come and you don't know why. And you wonder if you can bow your head even one more time. Hey, thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren Podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Hope is the First Dose. It's a treatment plan for recovering from trauma, tragedy, and other massive things. It's available everywhere books are sold, and I narrated the audio books. Hey, 
The theme music for the show is Get Up by my friend Tommy Walker, available for free at TommyWalkerMinistries.org. They are supplying worship resources for worshipers all over the world to worship the Most High God. And if you're interested in learning more, check out TommyWalkerMinistries.org. If you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer, WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer, and go to my website and sign up for the newsletter, Self Brain Surgery, every Sunday since 2014, helping people in all 50 states and 60-plus countries around the world. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'll talk to you soon. Remember, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today.